Hey, what's up guys? Hello, Bass. Super quick intro. Different kind of video today. This is going to be a live recording of an Instagram live, kind of a new boat side chat thing uh, I've been doing. So if you want to talk with me, hang out, talk fishing at night uh, on Instagram, follow me at Hello Bass. Um, but this episode, we talked with Cade Laufenberg, uh, an angler from the Lacrosse, Winona area, super stick on the Mississippi River. Um, so it's a little bit long, but if you want some juicy tips on fishing the Mississippi River, rivers in general, and in that stretch of the river, definitely tune in and watch this whole thing. I'm also going to have an audio version uh, on my podcast. There'll be some links down in the description and in the first pinned comment below. So tune in, let me know what you think. Uh, might do some more of these and uh, look for your feedback. Otherwise, sit back and enjoy. Guys, boat aboard. Play with some tackle, talk to some people live. Cade, what's up, Cade? Let's see if Cade will chat with me. Don't let me know, Cade. See if anybody wants to chat. Okay, probably not like wearing pants or anything. Living his best river life. What's up, Johnny? <laughs> I had to put a hat on. I haven't uh, haven't been up to much today. I thought you were like putting pants on or something, Mike. <laughs> you know that that wouldn't be so surprising. Uh, the, the snow kept you off the river today or what yeah and it's a little windy there's a, a lot windy today <laughs> yeah it's pretty much junk i put a new battery charger in my flat bottom that's about all i accomplished today it's better than nothing yeah what's going on what are we doing here today well i just I was like i had to get out of the house went out in the garage I was going to grab some baits for making a, a thumbnail uh, for a video for tomorrow and uh, play around with some tackle. And I thought, I did this the other night and chatted for like hours with a couple of people. And I was like, see if anybody wants to jump on. So huh. we have the, uh, the ultimate river rat with us tonight. So if he wants to chat for a few minutes. Totally impromptu. I was watching an old uh, Strength Series Championship show and I saw you went live. So I was like, oh, let's see what this is all about. Here we are. Yeah. This is like, uh, I don't know, my new thing, I think, like, when I need to get away from the kids and it's, like, too dark for me, like, this may be my new thing. <laughs> uh, the other night I talked for a long time with uh, Tad Johnson. Okay. Uh, and then uh, also uh, a guy named Pete from Omnia Tackle for a while, so. Yeah, I know Pete. <laughs> yeah. So, it was cool. Lots of stuff. So, what? How, how warm is the water, or how cold is the water right now on the river? Last time I was out, it was like forty-eight ish in dead water, no current. So, I don't know what it is after this cold front. Probably low forties in those areas. But, but like one day, right? That's going to spike up again, right to where it was. If it's sunny and warm, right? Like no, or, or a couple days, like. Yeah, I'm thinking maybe by, like, Sunday. <laughs> it might be sure. getting back into the upper 40s again with what the forecast is, but it's looking pretty grim for the next couple of days. It's supposed to get down to 17 tonight and same tomorrow, so 
probably be some skim ice. Some ice fishing fishing. In the morning. Yeah, <laughs> I, I saw some skim ice. I saw some skim ice on this this one little marsh this morning on my way home. So, not good. Hmm. Yeah, and we did have some snow on the ground, and it's pretty depressing. Yeah, we had like uh, six or seven inches where I live on Sunday. Oh, perfect. That should help the river level too. That didn't all stick, but that that's what fell. So yeah. Speaking yeah. of river levels, how, like how how high is it, and how bad, how bad are the ramps? And well, I've been so I've always been like a, I fish all the different pools, you know. But for some reason, I just can't get it in my head like any other pools level. I always gauge everything off of lacrosse, and okay. uh, so lacrosse stage is at like twelve, or it just came under twelve, I think. It's like eleven point nine or something like that. Um, Which is high, but not level. Yeah, I mean, flood stage is 12, so it is real high. There's only a handful of ramps that are really usable. I mean, you can put in pretty much anywhere, but a lot of these ramps are going to have to have waiters or somebody else back in uh-huh. if you're going to use them. Um, but there's there's a couple ramps that are good during high water. Uh, it's just one of those things, like, the river's kind of tough right now, and with all the people that want to get out fishing and this whole virus thing, it's the few areas that have been productive as far as fish that are biting have been getting like extra, extremely hammered compared to what they normally would be just because there's that many more people fishing right now. So there's not that many sneaky spots this time of year. Like, I mean, there are, no. but like, <laughs> well, we need a little bit more water temperature. That's the biggest thing. Like, I like to get after the smallmouth, and I know some people have been catching a few. They're starting to show up in a few places, but the big migration hasn't really happened yet from what I've seen. So we need we need a good week of warming trend to get that moving, and then you can finally start spreading out, you know. Like, that's what I like to do is go target the smallmouth when they get in the current right. seams. But right now it's like all the largemouth are still in kind of the very early spring areas. Like dead current, right? Yeah, dead current, like wood. Wood has been really the best thing for me. Laydowns, you know, that are on sunny banks. And they're not up shallow either. Like, if you're going to catch one off a laydown, they seem to be on the ends of a tree in, like, the deepest part of the tree. You know, if it's it's a tree that overhangs, like, a little ditch or something like that, that's kind of what you need. So, it's just not quite right yet. And then you catch like four big ones off the same tree ones, right? Yeah, that happened to me once like two weeks ago, but that that was in one of those areas. There was like 20 boats in there, just a little tiny slough that a lot of locals know. And I got lucky. I kind of, I think I was on the right rotation because all the people had worked their way to the very back of the slough. And I came mm-hmm. in later and I stayed in the front part where they probably fished like two hours earlier. So sure. I, was, I was catching new fish that I just pulled in. That everybody else had already gone past. So, so somebody just asked if this is any good on the river, and I say yes. Do you agree? Yes, I agree. <laughs> um, I like to fish. It's good on, river, huh? on like, like a swing head. Yeah, I'm not supposed to talk about that because you know that whole yeah that whole deal there. But I can't confirm nor deny what you just said. But. <laughs> 
they have seen a few fish in my boat. It works on those. Yeah. I mean, it works anywhere. It's a good bait. I mean, like, I don't know. The cool thing about that with the chatterbait, like what you just showed, is you can, you can fish it with the tails parallel to the hook or perpendicular to the hook. Right. That's parallel. Yeah. And I like it that way myself, but it also, you can fish it the other way for more lift and it has a di totally yep. different action. So kind of cool, versatile bait that way. Yeah. I talk about a bit about that in the video tomorrow. <laughs> for sure. 100%. Oh. <laughs> Absolutely. I'll there you go. If you're talking about, I'll provide. Like, so, what, what's the, so just fairness and conversation act. What's uh talk about some big bite swim jig plated jig trailers you like well i was just gonna say when you're talking about putting that menace scrub uh parallel to the hook like that you can actually take these guys it's mm -hmm. the uh the real deal shad that's the michael neal big bite shad thing yep. and uh, that can be a good like texas rig bed fishing bait but i like it on the back right. of a swim jig or a chatter bait um same kind of deal as far as how you hook it and it has that those skills kind of quiver sure. back and forth on the back of the chatterbait so that's a good do one they make those in natural colors or they just make those in shad colors no. uh i think i actually don't quote me on it but i think most of them are like a minnow type color they don't have like just a straight green pumpkin or something like that like watermelon red or a, yeah. yeah exactly i have seen those now that you mention it yeah, it's kind of flies under the radar. Not a ton of people talk about them, but well, they do I was looking work. at Big Bite today, and they have a surprisingly small selection at Tackle Warehouse for what they actually produce. Yeah, they really do make a ton of different baits. Which is they, like Tackle Warehouse carries like six things from them, which I thought was weird. Yeah, and they got like every kind of finesse worm that you could imagine under the sun. Plus, they make lizards. A lot of people don't realize that they like well, are. Really? The craw too. They make like, baits for just about anybody, everybody in that. Like, yeah, uh, and like parent like, company pours baits for like more bait companies than you would know. Right. I forgot the name of it too. That D and M or DGM or, or yeah, like yeah, like all those baits that like Christopherson's bait up there in Alexandria. Mm -hmm. Like that's all the same. It's all coming out of the same factory with Big Bite and all that. Um. They do Gander Mountain and Cabela's and all that stuff too. So Big Bites definitely. They definitely got, store brands, but there's also other brands that they do. I think that most people don't know. So, yeah, they definitely know how to make quality plastics. Have you seen uh, any glimpses of the uh, BFE that Hallman's working on? I did. Yeah, it's kind of like a hybrid, like craw tooth looking, beaver looking beaver. thing. Yeah. <laughs> definitely interesting. Looks good. I'll have to try it'd be, it out. It'd be nice for slipping into the mats, the, you know, like those old slimy mats that show up in harbors. So you could like punch through those. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the good old days there, man. I've not been able to duplicate that that success that with that punching fish you caught there in a long time. No. But I've, I've picked a few. I've caught fish back there, but I've never caught them that way. Yeah, I did with I went with Kevin Rue one time there in the fall. Uh, like two two falls ago, and we had just an epic day. We had like 22 and a half, almost 23 pounds for five fish. And I caught my river personal best largey out of there, six and 
a little over six and a quarter, so you're still living nice. in there. But yeah, I definitely caught several fish back in that area in that semi tournament that I didn't quite close the deal on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good old Randy, my buddy. <laughs> old Randy, yeah, he sandbagged that one too, huh? Made it seem like he didn't have them very good, but he got them. Classic. Love, I love those guys. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can't sandbag for the life of me. It's impossible. Like, if I catch a good bag of fish, like, I will just come in to weigh in just completely glowing. There's no way right. I can possibly hide that I did well because I'm so excited. My, my idea of sandbagging is saying I have 16 and a half, but I have 17. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? <laughs> Yeah, I usually just tell exactly what my Rapala scale says because it's always lighter than what the regular scale says. So I know I'm never going to get myself in trouble. So it works pretty well that way. No one likes to be that guy that's like, oh, yeah, I got 18 pounds. And then you weigh 15, you look like a Guggen. <laughs> yeah. Uh you fishing the TVF this year? Um, I don't know. I haven't even seen what the schedule is. I'll probably get called a jackpotter if I don't, but that's okay because I've really only fished the TBFs the last two years when they came to lacrosse and stuff, and you know, that was really cool. And I definitely, uh, if they have another one on the river, I'll probably jump in it again. And what happens, whatever happens, happens. I mean, but my tournament season right now, I'm just trying to figure out when it's going to start with this whole COVID 19 thing. I did uh, sign up for a head-to-head -head fishing in lacrosse in July, kind of spur of the moment. I didn't even know about it, and uh, someone tipped me off about it. Like, hey, registration opens tomorrow. You got 500 bucks? And I was like, um, I don't know. <laughs> so I kind of had to make a decision because it was filling up fast, so I jumped in that. Should be like, good. That looks fun. I haven't looked into them too much, but... Yeah, it's kind of scary because, I mean, it's only first and second place gets paid out. So if you have a bad first day, you don't know who you're going to be up against. And if you have a bad first day, you're eliminated 500 bucks down the drain. So it can certainly happen to anybody. Absolutely. But that's Is that really any different than any tournament? <laughs> I mean, think about it. Like, I mean, other than it's 500 bucks, but... The only it's thing I think about is, like, what if I have a super awesome day and I would have cashed a good check in any BFL or whatever, but the guy I'm up against just has a slightly right. super awesomer day and I right. get eliminated. Because you're bracketing. You could be literally be the second best bag all day, but if you're paced against the guy with the first bag, you're out. Yeah, exactly. That's why it's, like, more scary because, like, in, a, in a, a regular normal tournament, at least – at least you have the prospect of, well, I can still cash a check, you know? Right. But, I don't know. It'll be interesting. My main focus this year, though, is fishing the BFLs. Uh, I'm actually fishing the Illini division. Uh, That's try awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to qualify for the lacrosse regional. That's my goal there because that could be a really big deal. Um, I'd have a good chance to do well at that one, I think, in October so putting all my eggs in that basket trying to qualify for that and if it happens it happens if it doesn't it doesn't but 
Well, I mean, you just gotta go down and catch a fish, five, four, four or five derbies, and I mean, still, right, to make the regional probably. Yeah, I think so. But th- that's the thing is, you know, with how tough those fisheries are, it would be real easy to go down there and zero, and really just right. have a hard time. But you fish some of them, right? I've actually, I've never fished any of the tournament waters for the BFLs. Hmm. I only fished Carlisle Lake and Kincaid Lake, and I've been on um, like Clinton Lake and Lake of Egypt and Lake Newton, some of those power plant lakes, but I've never fished Shelbyville and Rend. And we're actually going to be on the Ohio River too Mm. in September. September, so you know that that late summer bite on the Ohio River really (laughs) picks up. They're really going to be smashing, you know. I'm super stoked for it. So, Dylan Duffy, were you, are you talking about Pokegama? Is that where you were in the back of my boat? I just asked the question. I'm just trying to remember somebody that fished with me. Yeah, I saw that question. I think he's talking about Pokegama two years ago. I'm not sure. When he says you, you destroyed the docks, does that mean you were smoking the dock with your trolling motor, or, or were you just catching them? What's up, Jacob? Uh, I caught a few fish on docks that day, I think, if I'm remembering correctly. We fished a lot of them, but I didn't get that many fish off of them. I caught most of my fish um, on a jig worm, maybe one on a uh, plopper, and then right at the end of the day, uh, it went down on a uh, flipping foil on a place that I had as a jig, like a, an outside, like, jigworm drop shot spot and they weren't biting so on a whim i just went up and just started dropping a beaver in the and it just like popped like three or four good fish bang 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 hmm. brandon's we have the most negative person in the world chris brandner's here so oh boy <laughs> he knows that guy which guy i think uh, you know both of us yeah hey, he, put, admit it. he put a trolling motor on his boat the other day i think he's fishing again yeah for the first time in like 20 years. There you go. Did all the ducks yeah. die or? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's about to be anarchy out there, so he'll be able to be duck hunting again pretty soon, I'm sure. Yeah, like it'll just be a free for all? Yeah, just, you know, do what you can. Yeah. But then all the city will be down there flooding the river and then it'll be all over. They'll shut it down. <laughs> yeah. Are there any, what ramp could I go to on pool four, Chris, that's open? For sure, Alma, I would, I would think, but. That's like the furthest possible. I mean, that's well, from where I live. The, the worst. <laughs> he's not going to tell you. He's not going to tell you. He doesn't want you coming down there. He doesn't want the other 17 people on the stream to find out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Side note, though, I heard that that area is getting hammered. I mean, yeah, just all the extra people that are out of work right now, and yeah, Red Wing, Not yeah, Minneapolis. <laughs> he says Red yeah. Wing. <laughs> yeah, right there at uh, what's the Everett's? Just a launch at Everett's. Sounds good. I don't know if you're going to make it to Everett's. I've seen some pictures. It looks like it's uh, flipping yeah. territory there now at the bait yeah, shop. That's that's what I figured. I was joking. <laughs> um, yeah. 
I don't know. It's been a weird year. It's kind of been a tease, you know. It's like got warm. The ice melted fast because we didn't really have that much ice. It was looking really good. And then all the, you know what, kind of hit the fan. (laughs) So here we are. And, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like, I wish, like, because the thing is, like, Wisconsin, right, went to a catch and release. So I was, like, all excited to go, like, fish lakes. But now I feel like, well, is that really the best thing to be doing, to be driving an hour, 90 minutes from my house and, like, <laughs> leaving my wife and kids at home all day with their stuck in the house? Right. Yeah. So, like, like, eh. Kind of took the the excitement out of like going hitting a bunch of lakes in Wisconsin I'd never been to. So yeah, and there's not like a ton of really really prestigious Wisconsin lakes like real close to the Minnesota border. You know, it's like mostly where I live. There's not hardly yeah. anything. And some of the good up north lakes still have ice on them, so that kind of takes that out of the way too. So and you don't really want to be like scheduling weekend overnight trips at this point. So <laughs> yeah. You mean you don't want to go stay in a Motel 6 right now for 40 bucks a night anywhere? I mean, I probably would just sleep in the back of my truck, but... There you go. I don't think my wife, my wife wouldn't be supportive of that. So. <laughs> yeah. Just got to bring like that Setting the best example, so... <laughs> hey, I got to ask, did you see the... Uh, are you friends with Randy Flowers on Facebook? Uh, maybe. Really? I got a lot of friends. I mean, I'm aware of that's, him. I know that's who not I'm... something you would say maybe to. You would know if you were friends with Randy Flowers. Probably am. I don't know. Like, I know who he is. I know. I mean, like, I, I don't know if we're actually friends. I've seen his posts. I, uh, but anyways, why? I just wondering if you've seen that clip of a certain angler that was bed fishing and snagging fish and then hiding it from the camera, but they still count it. Did you, did you see that? You know what I'm talking about? Well, I know you're talking about um, the MLF guy uh, on Fork. It's, yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I'm trying to remember his name. Uh, it's, it's Jeff Sprague. Yeah, Sprague. Um, I mean, I saw it. I guess I haven't watched all the clips. I heard an interview on BTL. And I guess I never went back and watched it to see if his explanation really made sense. So I didn't really think that much of it. Uh, I was hoping you had an opinion. I wanted to, I wanted to stir the pot and open a can of worms here tonight. I mean, my opinion is that I, I guess I don't feel like the judges are knowingly looking the other way. Uh, I'd hope that they are paying that enough attention to see that. I, mean, I don't think I don't think anybody's trying to sweep anything under the rug. If the judge missed it, that's one thing, I guess. But I don't know how you would. I mean, I guess I don't know how you would think about trying to hide it and get away with it on that stage. Like that just seems unfathomable to me. Like, well, that's what was so weird about it with those clips. I mean, it was like you could tell when he was fighting the fish that he was in a panic. Like he was fumbling over his words and he. He literally, like, laid down full belly on the deck, like, in a way that you would never attempt to land a fish. And I think his mind was so frazzled about, like, oh, man, this fish is foul. Look, what am I going to do? Like, how am I going to get a, like, how am I going to land this fish in a way that no one's going to notice it's foul? Look, was it the way I interpreted it? 
But, I mean, I don't want to be making accusations, but it, it looked really, really bad to me. And I'm not saying the judges let anything slide, but I don't know. I like the whole yeah, it, concept. It wasn't of, a good look. I, only, I know there was multiple ones. I only saw them. a couple of them. Um, yeah. It's definitely not a good look. And I, I know in his explanation on BTL, he said, you know, I definitely wanted to not unhook it on camera because it's not a good look. Uh, but I guess if you're not – I feel like you really – in that circumstance, if that was me, if I was talented enough to be fishing at that level and on that stage, uh, I would have sure explained it in full detail. Like, like it was hooked. I unhooked it. I wasn't bed fishing. Like, I would have – you know what I mean? Like, if you're in that right. position to me, you would be like – wide open like right otherwise it just it leads to this stuff and, that, and yeah. know, whether it was intentional or not it puts a bad light on it if you don't if you're not fully transparent about it right yeah it's just crazy to me i don't know i feel like growing up i've always in tournaments that i've fished and in tournaments that i've watched if you're sight fishing or if you're even remotely close to sight fishing it's always customary and even in the rules to show your partner or the person that's judging or whatever, you got to show them that that hook is in the mouth. So to actually blatantly keep it away from you and then unhook it, that that to me is a fish that shouldn't be able to go in your live well or on the score tracker or whatever it is, because you did not do that qualifying step, you know? So, and I guess I don't want to take, to take you down a rabbit hole, but no, <laughs> just, I guess to me, my mind. And I mean, like, MLF, they have the advantage of like literally, like if they showed that those clips on Facebook or YouTube or whatever later, right? That means MLF has access to the fish catches in probably more entirety than that, right? From like cast to catch, right? And then they can review that specific catch and then they like could like. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix throw that fish out they could like, i mean like they could like have individual fish penalties or like you know they wouldn't necessarily have to disqualify them for a whole day or a whole tournament they could really just throw away those catches if they felt there was anything wrong with them so i mean yeah i, I don't know why i mean it would seem like what what would they gain by trying to cover it up i don't know but supposedly they deleted some clips off of their stuff because it was getting all blown out of proportion it's all this crazy they, and they've had a habit of doing that instead of like coming out and actually like explaining it or like they do have a, you know, they did that early on with some of their, like they came out with like the winnings charts of our anglers versus the other leagues. And oh, then they yeah. them and like and they, they wonder why certain people don't like them all the time and why they get a bad rap. It's because they haven't necessarily went about it the best way a lot of times. So and it's crazy too. Like I, of all people, like, I've been just a Bass fan forever and always will be. So my opinions were kind of biased. But I will admit that this year, 
with the way things have shaken out, like Bass not getting as much coverage because they had the really unfortunate events of having to cancel and postpone events like crazy. Um, mm-hmm. And MLF has had some really good events. I've actually watched a lot of the MLF coverage, like more than any other fishing tournaments this year. And I will like give them credit where it's due. The two pound minimum made a big difference. Like that made it a lot more enjoyable. And I mean, I was enjoying watching it, but then it's like, right when you're thinking, Oh man, am I becoming a fan of this? I don't know. And then you see this next controversy and it's just like, yep. Oh, they are who we thought they were. <laughs> you know, I'm just like, I don't know. I'm, I'm just torn on everything in life right now. So going a little crazy. Let's be honest. Yeah. I definitely agree that the two pound definitely like put like, a huge step in the right direction for me. hundred uh, percent. Like, I don't know about you, but watching Edwin Evers catch 70 barely scorable and unscorable bass to win $300,000, like that probably would have weighed eight pounds in a BFL. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, okay, yeah, I would have maybe rolled in there and I would have caught some, I would have filled the box and maybe I would have caught another limit and I would realize I was only gaining like an ounce at a time. I would have like blown out of there, right? Like, and it's like, yeah. As a guy who fishes tournaments on those pools, it's just like, ugh, that's just. And then like the same thing, like Winnebago last year, it was like, ugh, like that's yeah, great. yeah, you're you're plucking 13 inches off docks. Uh, congratulations, like, <laughs> but right, it was heartbreaking to me. I mean, being a river rat and hoping to see some cool things happen, it it hurt to watch. And the funniest thing about that whole deal was, I had a team tournament that same week, and it was real weird, like. I felt kind of bad at times. Mm-hmm. Like you watch these TV shows on Guntersville and there's a tournament going on, like, you know, a Bassmaster Elite Series. And then there's a 200 boat local team tournament the same week. And you're just like, why would they schedule that tournament at the same time as the Elite Series? And then here I am fishing a team tournament during the Redcrest event. But I will say, like, it was weird because. They had their little red crest tent thing down by our weigh-in site, and like, no one really cared. Like, everyone was interested. Was more in people the watching tournament. the uh, the, uh, <laughs> the, the the local league than. Uh... Yeah, it What's was up, weird. I mean, it, it was a championship Sunday, so that was the day that Edwin won three hundred thousand dollars. We watched those guys, like they they had their little boat yard in the parking lot. Um, like right by where we were putting in for the Vice 95 tournament. We watched them all go up there. Like they came and got their boats out of the boatyard. And then they went up to Lake Onalaska to go win their $300,000. And we're just like, oh, whatever. We've got a team tournament today. Like it was just the weirdest thing. Like could you imagine doing that during a Bass? Was it a Vice 95 or what kind of big money were we fishing for? Yeah, it was a Vice 95. Just a, you know, $2,000 for first place kind of deal. But you just imagine if you did that during the Bassmaster Classic, you know what I'm saying? Like it, it would never happen. That's all my point is. It's just, yeah, it was kind of, just weird. it probably wasn't even on their radar that the Red Crest was happening when they scheduled their tournaments. No, definitely was not. I don't know if it was even on MLF's radar that, that the Red Crest was happening in lacrosse when those schedules were coming out. So just a bizarre time, but, 
it is cool to see a professional circus coming to lacrosse though and i you know a sure. lot of people a lot of people say you know oh it hurts the fishery and all this and it brings a lot of people that we don't want here you know it kind of becomes a destination fishery but i'm all for it i think it's pretty cool to see our area get that coverage and what it does for the economy and what it's really done in my opinion is it's changed the way like local governments and state governments view our sport for the better because they, they seem to come around on some things that were like really restrictive you know with with the culling thing for example like we, we saw a lot of movement on that around the same time that the pro tournaments started coming here more frequently. So to me, that's a win. And a lot of the other changes that have come out of it, and some of the improvements to facilities and stuff have been really worth worth the uh, exposure that we've gotten that some would yeah, claim is negative. So, but yeah. No, the, only people, the, the only people that would think it negative would be Chris Brantner and people like him who don't want anybody <laughs> fishing their pots. Oh, don't pick on Chris. He's quarantined up there in Tepin. What do you think there is to do there? The winery's closed. Uh, yep. <laughs> Poor Chris. Uh, I, did, I saw Brandon Carr dropped in here for a second. I don't know if you saw that. I did see that. He was he did good here in lacrosse a couple times. I should say I just second. I was like. Does he fish MLF or bass, and do we want? <laughs> no, he fishes bass. I was thinking about that. No, I was like, it's like, wait, there's the, they're watching us. We were the, the MLF spies around us. <laughs> I'll take full blame. I started that. That's my fault. I got to keep my mouth. No, it's fine. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, so your your main thing is the BFL. Two circuits of the BFL this year. Um, and then you're just going to fill it with local team tournaments so you can bankroll the rest of your stuff. Yeah, I mean, hopefully, <laughs> you never know. I mean, the weird thing about having such, like, hard winters up north like this is it's like a total reset on your fishing, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, like, I feel like after going three months without casting or, like, really, truly fishing hard, I have to feel like I relearn everything, mostly mentally, you know. I know I know how to catch a bass. I can go out and catch one tomorrow if I want to. But it's like the tournament competing aspect. It's like, oh, man, like I'm scared for my first tournament. Am I going to suck, you know? like So it is It is kind of nervous or nerve-wracking. And I don't know how I'm going to do this year, you know. Yeah. It's, it's like, it's, yeah, it feels that way, but it's, it's like riding a bike. Right. Yeah, like like you rather rode a bike in maybe a couple of years, and uh, but you know once you a couple times around the block, then all of a sudden you're feeling good, and then you start trying to jump off curbs and do stupid shit until you fall and break an ankle. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Brandon, we love lacrosse too. Absolutely, it is frog heaven most Heck of the time. Yeah. As long as high water doesn't blow out all the grass all year long, but <laughs> yeah, well. Even when it's not frog heaven, you can always catch them somewhere on the dang river. Oh yeah, for sure. It's uh, I, I wish I had more time to fish down there, and hopefully in a couple of years, my uh, my home life allows me to get after them, and I'll get back and I'll start rubbing rails with uh, Cade on a full season of the BFL. So yeah, we still got to do that YouTube pl- collaboration. Well, that's like, I was all excited. I was going to be like knocking on your inbox to come down there. And I was like, well, it seems really inappropriate right at this moment to like be driving down there and fishing with 
in other people's boats in close proximity. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like, yeah. Yeah. And honestly, I'm taking it kind of seriously. Like I haven't talked, I haven't hung out with anybody. Like I haven't gone, even seen my parents or anything and going to work even is kind of terrifying. So I'd rather not get this virus. I have asthma and I don't, I don't know. I doubt I would nope. die, but you never know. What if I do? <laughs> so I've uh, been fishing a couple times and it's always been by myself or with my kids. And like, I haven't like, like I go to the store like once a week, maybe fill my tank. When I got, when I got gas, I filled the boat and the trucks so, that like fishing the little lakes around here. Like I can go 10 times without like <laughs> having to stop and get gas again. And Lord knows I have enough tackle. I don't need to go anywhere to buy bait. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I've been trying to like really, you know, do the best. And that's why I haven't been driving to Wisconsin. Cause like if you drive to Wisconsin, you're going to have to get gas. And then like, I also feel like if the more you drive, the more you travel, the more likely you're going to like, what I mean, this shit happens when you tow a basketball, right? Like bearing wheels yeah. and like stuff's not going to be open if you like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's hard enough to find a place when you're on a fishing trip to like fix something. Well now with uh, the quarantine and all that stuff, I mean, it's, yeah. So it's just to me, it's not worth it at this point. So. Plus, with all the extra people that are doing that, driving over and stuff, I mean, it's just a matter of time before our state Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, if I there's mean, just, like, Wisconsin sees Minnesota plates all over the place and, you know, the, the ramps are full and, like, yeah. I have the biggest fear is that, like, if we have a peak of nice weather that, you know, Tonka and Prior Lake and all these lakes, are gonna, they're going to be partying on the frickin' sandbars and it's going to be, like, <laughs> game over. Yeah, Exactly. Uh, yeah, that's kind of what was going on on the river here, too. With Right when this stuff was really starting to hit the fan was, like, the peak of the walleye and perch fishing. And so guys were fishing on shore all around the dams and on the walls of the dams. And they were social distancing at all. And luckily, the dams themselves put caution tape up and, and mandated that people can't fish off the walls anymore. But I was real worried that, like, man, this is going to get to the state and they're going to shut this stuff down, like, because people just aren't listening to what needs to happen. So, yeah. I don't know. If they if they take away fishing like they did in Michigan, I don't know what I'm going to do. Yeah. Probably, probably still have to go fishing somehow, but I don't well, know. Dylan <laughs> says he's a movie guy. So, like, yeah, that, uh, do you just, like, drop them on the, like, door? Like, I guess it was a piece of I guess, like, what well, sucks, because, like, you want to, like, hand them their pizza so they can hand you a tip. On the other hand, you'd, like, just want to put the pizza on and, like, ring the doorbell and be like, I'm out. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. That is crazy. You just got to wear your buff, Dylan. You just bring that buff up. <laughs> just go into full sight fishing mode with the hood and the gloves and the buff. and Yeah. Heck, yeah. I think, I don't know, does Wisconsin have a constitutional right for fishing like Minnesota does? That I do not know. I I know what the limit for bass is, the length limit. I know a lot of limits and a lot of regulations, but that much, once you start getting into lawyer talk, ah, you're losing me there. I just saw a post, and I've heard that we do. So it probably makes it a little harder, but doesn't mean they can't shut down boat ramps. doesn't mean they can't. Like, Yeah, that's the biggest thing is the access a lot of it will come down to the cities too. I mean, in lacrosse, it's all, 
there's very few ramps that are not owned by the city in some way. So they'll have the capacity to shut a lot of it down if they choose. And then you're going to just be pushing all the people into the couple ramps that are open. So it just kind of exacerbates the problem. Well, yeah. I don't know. We'll get through it somehow. <laughs> nice. So if you get on the river right now, what? Uh, so this weekend, let's say Sunday, you go out. What? Uh, what's what's three baits that I need to be fishing if I go on the river this weekend? Uh, well, I'm probably going to pro- – I'll probably be out there, and I'm going to probably live with a jerk bait. Uh, like a Ned rig, like, yeah, it's that bad for me. Uh, and like maybe a finesse jig or something like a jig, a jig might come into play again. I've been, I've been catching a lot of fish on a jig on wood, but I'm just thinking with this real cold that we've just had, it's going to be kind of like a, a real setback and the fish are going to be going back into that water temp zone where it's like hard baits and swim baits are more productive than like jigs and Texas rigs. You know what I mean? Right. Um, so they're almost going to fall back to a wintering position. I, I think they are a little bit. I mean, early next week, it should start coming not, back. Not all the way, but they're going to, not all the way, but they're going to slide back partway towards wintering and like. Yeah. And actually I watched one of your videos like a couple weeks ago or maybe a week yeah. and a half ago. You, it was like your first day out or whatever, and you were throwing that crappie chatterbait, and you were talking uh-huh. about exactly what I was thinking here, where when the ice goes off, the fish, like, run shallow, right? You mentioned yeah, that in the like, video. Like, yeah, as like shallow the bait as fish, bluegills, like, Yeah, you can catch them in, like, six inches of water for, like, a couple days when it's warm. Yeah, and so we've had that. That's happened. Those fish got beat up by everybody and their brother that could get, a, uh, could get out in a boat and catch them. And then now we get this epic cold front, and that's going to set them all the way back, you know, to the ledges and stuff. But this is, this is, in my opinion, where we're going to have the best fishing of the spring. It just, we need it to warm up a little bit now, but now they should be set up. When it does warm right. up to where they start biting again, they'll be set up finally. Because personally, like, I love going super shallow on a nice warm day and catching a great big one on a swim jig in six inches of water right after ice out like that's awesome but you're kind of hunting for singular fish when you're doing that i like it when they're grouped up on a ledge or a current seam like a point at the mouth of a spawning bay or something like that yeah on a structure on a on a seam on a eddy on a like yeah that's where they're going to be and and it's i just don't think they're going to really be very active this weekend because it's going to take some time but Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, like it's going to start happening again next week, I think. I mean, I'm just looking at the overnight lows, especially, is what's right. really going to kill us. I mean, 17 degrees, two nights in a row. But, but yeah, then those 50s, yeah, it doesn't take long on the river. Like, you can gain five, six degree water temperature in one day here because the water's, you know, shallow and turbid. So it'll be all right. But yeah, jerk bait. Ned rig for those smallies if you can find a current seam that they're in. Um, and then probably a swim bait. Those are probably going to be my three baits I'll be throwing this weekend. Nice. Sounds crazy, but I'm, I'm going for smallies this weekend. That's going to be my main target. 
Um, I'd like to say a lipless crankbait, but I think the water temperature is still going to have to warm up just a little bit more for that. Yeah, like upper 40s, right, typically? Yeah, even a little warmer, I prefer like 51, yeah, 52. 50, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for sure. Like, I mean, I feel like the largemouth bite opens up at 50 big time. Yeah. Like they just, 50, 52, they become way more aggressive on reaction baits. Yeah. And I will say, at least here on the river, I don't know, it might be different in some of the Minnesota, Wisconsin lakes, but of all the moving baits, right, you think of a square bill, spinnerbait, chatterbait, lipless crankbait, swim jig, of all the moving baits, I think the best cold water bait on the Mississippi River in the early spring is a swim jig. Uh, and you kind of feather it, fish it slow. Uh, that seems to get me more bites in like 45 degree to 50 degree water than any of those other baits. Once you hit 50, then, you know, a spinner bait really shines for me, like on wood and, and stuff like that. And then a chatter bait, 51, 52, 53, you know, over grass. Do you do anything different early in the season with your trailers for swim jigs? Um, I'd like, and are you I focusing guess, on like black, blue, and greens? Or are you doing more white that early in the year? I think black and blue is my go-to color when the water's like 55. It just seems to be a good cold water color or even just straight black. I really like a straight black. Like sometimes, um, some of the winter fishing that I do on the river in select areas that stay somewhat open, <laughs> like I can't really get into that because it's kind of not very well known area, but. I'll, I'll take a black and, or just a straight black finesse jig, like an eighth ounce, and then I'll put a grub on it, like a dark green pumpkin grub on the back of that. And it's not a swim jig, you know, it's a finesse jig, but because of the way that skirt is cut, it helps it ride up in the water more. And you can swim it super slow with that grub on like there. Like that... you, is that like single tail grub time of year, or is it like swim bait, or what kind of trailer do you like when it's cold? I mean, I, I've been catching them okay on a swim bait trailer, but I would say if I had to choose for cold, cold water, I would say a grub will be better uh, than a swim bait. School, if you are like going to use, what's that? Old school, like the purest form of swim jigging. <laughs> oh, yeah. Absolutely. A grub is the deal. I mean, I actually have kind of gotten away from a grub a little bit the last few years, but I, sh I shouldn't because it really is. I mean, in the early spring, there's not much of a better way catch them than with a grub on the back of a swim jig but even more you, like, the grub would probably be new now on like those pools like i think so few people actually throw a swim a grub on a swim jig anymore that yeah. it probably would be like reborn to the, some of these fish again like because i think 90 percent of the people literally throw like a craw action trailer uh, a menace grub or a swim bait now yeah. most people don't throw a grub anymore that's that's very true that's accurate i think for me, what's even more important than um, than the trailer is the actual weight of the swim jig, too. Like, the colder the water, the lighter jig I want to use. Um, like, quarter ounce is just my go-to size, like, at any time of the year. I, I don't even throw a 3-8 ounce, like, very often at all in the Mississippi. Um, but I will, there's certain times, like, in the winter, super late fall, and super early spring, where I'll go to like a one eighth ounce jig, like I was just talking about. And it, at that point, when you're start, starting to get that light of a jig, 
it doesn't even have to be a swim jig. Like it's just a really light jig of any kind that you can swim. As long as you're not around like super thick grass, which this time of year, you're really not. So, uh-huh. you know, even just a ball style jig will work. It just has to be super light with a grub on it and a good weed guard. Like I've even found that the Bitsy bug, the old school Bitsy bug works pretty well. Uh, you know, it doesn't have a good hook in it, but if you're just fun fishing and you lose a couple of fish, who really cares, right? And honestly, I, I don't lose a lot of fish on that um, on that bait anyway. But but yeah, a little bitsy bug with the grub, I've done really well in super cold. I've caught them in 37 uh, with that setup, just just barely reeling it, you know, just ticking the ground. If you're throwing an eighth ounce, would you ever throw it on a spinning rod, or do you always still throw it on a baitcaster? I still throw it on a baitcaster. I just I like to be able to jack them when I when I get a bite, so. I do like well, to throw you, it on, on a bait cast. Are they still pretty shallow? What's that? It's still pretty shallow, or do you have to slow roll it deeper? I, I still, I fish it in two to five foot of water. So that's not too um, bad. Yeah, you almost have so to you, kind of do that. Throw in like 14, 15 pound line then? Or? Yeah, and I've, I've actually gone to mono before when I really wanted to slow it down, just to have that little bit of flotation. But yeah, yep. I, I throw... I actually throw a heavy line. I throw like twenty pound line, heavy Keep diameter. I mean, forces you to like literally just crawl it. Yeah, and I keep the rod tip up like this, and you kind of can you can kind of shake it almost like a Alabama style swim jig technique that they talk about, and you can just kind of keep it in place almost while moving it. The thing I've noticed when the water's really cold is the fish want a bait that's not moving but they don't want a bait that's going up and down. They want a bait that's going horizontal. So whether that be a jerk bait or a swim jig or whatever, you got to find a way to make that bait go horizontal, but extremely slow. And that's the, that's the challenge. And then when you put in the dynamic of you're fishing shallow water on top of that, it also makes it even harder to, to get that presentation, you know? So that's, that was my solution was that really light swim jig, heavy line, um, mono, but a limber enough rod that I can still cast with a baitcaster with that light jig setup. Right. So a little bit lighter rod than normal, like summertime swim jigging. Well, I actually use the same rod <laughs> all okay. year long, but I just outfit it a little differently. But it's a it's a seven uh, seven one medium heavy Daiwa, but it's actually seven two. Uh, but it's it's basically like a square bill crankbait rod. Most people sure. would probably use it for square billing. Um, right. But I, I like fishing light wire swim jig hooks um, and, and fluorocarbon. That's my deal. I don't mess with the braid. Um, so, yeah, I've always used a lighter rod for swim jigs. But I'm no Tom Monsoor swim jig by any means, but I do throw one quite a bit. Yeah. Oh, flipping fish, he was talking about mono for early spring. Uh, swim jigging because he is fishing shallow and super slow so he wants that bait to stay up and be able to fish it horizontally as slow as possible but normally 90 percent of the year you're throwing fluorocarbon except for the early spring super slow light right yeah exactly i mean if that's it, really that's super technique. what was that uh, yeah I, I do the same thing occasionally like with square bills, lipless cranks, spinner baits, 
if I'm fishing super shallow grass and I'm trying to keep it like, like if you only got like this much water above the, the grass or something and you want to keep like, I will, that, that's about the only time I'll use mono or like, uh, if you go down, well, you see it on the river too, but any place where you have shad in the fall, when you have that ultra shallow bite and they're pushing shad, like I'm sure when you go down to fish Kentucky regionals and stuff like that, like that's the only other time I would fish mono on something is to keep it. You're trying to keep the bait. You know, you need to, you, know, you just need, you, you want the extra flotation from the line and it's situational, but that's, that's about it. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> yeah. Sometimes a Carolina rig leader, I'll throw mono, but. That's interesting. I'm the most basic Carolina rig person ever. Like I don't even use a bead. I use, I just cut my main line that I'm already using, make the leader. And I use a lead weight. I mean, I can tie one. I can tie a whole new Carolina rig in like 30 seconds. Super basic river rat stuff. Yeah, I definitely do that. Um, I play around with a mono leader at times, just trying to get. I mean, I know you're not getting a lot of lift. I mean, if you've ever really watched a Carolina rig in the water, it's it's negligible. I mean, the difference is very small, fluorocarbon versus mono. But sometimes, I don't know. Um, I'll do that, and sometimes. <clears throat> I mean, I oftentimes will do what you're talking about and just use 17, 17 or 20, 20. But a lot of times I will uh, go down one size on my leader more so that if I do hang it by the hook. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. I wanted to break at the hook, not at the the other knot. So that's the main reason. Yeah. And I and I'm I'm a snob, and I tend to throw tungsten more, so. That's the reason to like not lose the weight and hopefully just lose the hook. <laughs> I will use See, the lead weight down the river a little more often, but sometimes I still like a tungsten. It depends on what I'm fishing too. If I'm if I'm throwing a Carolina rig over wing dams and stuff like that, I'm gonna throw a lead. But if I'm mostly fishing sand drops and things like that, I'm gonna throw a tungsten. That's crazy. I I I will never put a tungsten <laughs> tungsten weight on a Carolina rig because I'm just too broke. So you're right, you are a snob. <laughs> but if you saw how many Carolina rigs I broke off, like in a tournament day, you'd probably crap your pants. I mean, because a lot of these smallmouth that I fish for are close to wood. Like they're on sand, but they're there's a lot of wood around too. So, I mean, you're getting snagged a lot, and when you get snagged with a Carolina rig, there's no going back. You know, it's almost impossible oh, yeah. to get it off. And that's the main reason I always downsize my leader so that, like, 90% of the time, the hook's going to break off, not the weight. Yeah. And that's that's a good but point. What I do, I tie a It's grass and mud up here, so it's not an issue. So. <laughs> I'll go ahead and tie, like, seven or eight extra rigs up the night before a tournament, and I just have them ready to go. So when I break off, it's not a big deal. Just tie a new one on at the at the swivel. Oh boy, now we're getting serious. 
I rated Gander Mountain at like 70, 80% off like years ago. So I've got, I mean, they don't even make this stuff anymore, but I still got it. Like, Jesus bins of it. That doesn't account all the Bastek tongues that I have. Unreal. You're like hoarding toilet paper, only tungsten over there. We got some questions we got to answer, I think, here. Jig or tea room for you guys this time of year, and why? Jig most of the time this time of year. I guess whether it's lake or rivers, I'm definitely going to gravitate towards a jig, um, whether I'm flipping it or slow rolling it or swimming it. I don't know about you. Yeah, I'm definitely I, – I like a jig as often as I can get away with it for so many reasons. I feel like I get a bigger bite on a jig, but also – from an efficiency standpoint, like 100%. when you're catching a lot of bass, like it's so much nicer to be throwing a jig when you don't have to constantly be putting on a new plastic. Like the other day I was fishing, I broke a jig off and I had a Texas rig rigged up. So I started flipping with that and I caught a couple of fish and then my bait ripped up. So I had to put a new one on and I found myself being super annoyed. <laughs> I was like, man, I wish I had that jig still tied on, you know, it's hundred percent like, yeah. I will always try the jig first, um, unless the cover is so slimy, weedy that it becomes counterproductive the other way from efficiency where you're picking slime or you're picking grass or you're like not getting good presentations that a Texas rig gives you a better presentation. Um, or for lighter presentations, like, you know, when the tough bike gets tough, you know, uh, like flipping a baby brush hog or flipping a tube is going to get you more bites than a jig. And sometimes it just gets tough. So, um, those are the two situations that I'm going to go to a Texas rig, but otherwise I'm like, I was going to try to show them the jig first because it's more efficient and it gets a bigger bite. You may sacrifice a few bites, but, um, if you're a tournament angler, you're, you know, and, and you're traditional, not your MLS style, <laughs> you know, you're yeah. looking for quality. So if you, if you catch, you know, six or eight good ones during the day versus 15, okay ones, you're, you're better off. Right? So, yeah. I also feel like there's a temperature range with a jig and a, texas rig too like when the water temperature is like below 55 degrees a jig seems to be a profile that they want but once it's getting above 55 especially around the spawn and stuff then then a texas rig seems to be more of a player than a jig to me it just it seems like a little more subtle entry a subtle approach when they're getting close to spawning or actually spawning uh, then I would prefer the Texas rig. And then on through the summer, sure. too, I, I like a Texas rig more in the summer on the river, like fishing grass, uh, grass edges and stuff. I'll use a Texas rig more so than a jig. But for this and time, come, I mean, just like if you're, if you're fishing the eelgrass edge, that it's it's more productive. It's going to come through it. It's going to slide yeah. through it. Like it's, exactly. It's back to the images. Um, it doesn't grab as much current. If you're fishing in heavier current, you don't need as heavy a weight. You can get uh, kind of a quicker, like, and you get more, like, it's a different action and you can get that different reaction by sometimes flipping a Texas rig with different swimming appendages and things that will get a different, uh, I mean, yeah, absolutely. There's something that feels right about certain water temperatures and certain times of the year. And it kind of comes with experience for sure. But I mean, but I mean, I guess if, even though, but if I could, if I was flipping wood in the summer, I still think about a jig. Oh yeah. Definitely. Even if it was warm. So I think a lot of it has to do 
part of its temperature and part of it's what those fish are doing in that yeah, time of year. The no presentation doubt. also drives it. Because like you're spawning, you're typically either, you know, fishing around something. It's kind of, you, or you're dragging it and it's, yeah, so it's just a different type of thing. Well, yeah, and it depends on the kind of cover you're fishing for sure. Like on the river, if I'm flipping a cut thing, like I'm throwing a jig. Cause I'm trying to get a big bite and I know they're going to eat a jig on a cut bank at any time of the year. But like you said, I mean, if you're fishing a weed line, then you're going to want to use a Texas rig. But if I'm fishing rocks, I'm going back to the jig again because the jig's going to come through that rock a lot better than a little lightweight Texas rig getting pinned down in the rocks. So it just depends on cover and water temperature. And like you said too, the, it's just that feeling that you get what feels right is also a big factor that you can't really describe it, but a lot of times you're just like, yeah, this feels what I need to be doing right now. And most of the time when you have that feeling, it's, it is the right thing to do. That right. gut feeling. Blair wants to know how you guys approach sandbar breaks. I'll tell you how I do it, which is probably not as good as Kate does it based on tournament results. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I guess there's a couple things, uh, Obviously, a top water can be really good. We only got thirty seconds left. You want to hang on and restart this, or you got to go? I don't care. We can we can restart it. All right, I'm going to end it. We only got twenty seconds left, and we'll come back and we'll tackle Blair's uh, sandbar breaks question. All right, All right. I'm gonna get everybody tune in. We'll be back in like one minute. What's up? Ready for part two? <clears throat> Nobody's here yet. What's up, Clayton? Ike, Chris is back. He wants to know all Kate's river secrets. Bass Utopia, what's up, Bass Utopia? Kate's here. All right. Long time no chat. Yeah. I got open this freaking water bottle, but. I, I, th I thought he was going to grab a beer, not a water. Nah. All right, where were we? Where we're talking about the... I'm too lazy to go to the liquor store, so I'm kind of out. Um, <laughs> so we were going to, I don't know if uh, was it Blair's back yet, but he wanted to know how to approach sandbar breaks. I feel like my dogs are getting restless. I might have to, to dive out. But, there he um, is. back. Back. All right, so to, I guess the time that I typically fish sandbar breaks on the river is, I know there's multiple times of the year, but the times I've been most successful is early fall, um, <clears throat> kind of that September, October time frame. And obviously there's other times that it works as well. Um, I mean, I really like a topwater when they'll when they'll go for it. Um, there's usually a window for that. Uh, I mean, slow rolling swim jigs can be good. Uh, I know you guys like rattle traps and lipless crankbaits a lot. I've had minimal success doing that but i know it's really popular um and then uh i don't know tubes and carolina rigs are the other things that i don't know i like quite a bit on sand breaks and to me uh there's always typically a sweet spot on a sand break whether it's shell something different with the current uh patch of grass something right so it's, it's no different than like a weed line you'll get you, you know there's a spot on a spot typically and it, it may be a couple spots on it and then fish are gonna move around and but they're they're mainly there for bait um and to push bait against that sand rig um so if you think about it that way you usually want to be 
most of them, I would say you're going to want to be off the deeper water and kind of up. And that's not always the case. Um, some of them depends how shallow they are on top, right? I mean, you could definitely fish them uphill potentially, uh, but a lot of them are pretty shallow on top. So um, a lot of times I find myself quartering off of it, trying to hit that sweet spot and kind of repeat that cast. But now tell them how to really do it, Kate. <laughs> well, this is a soft topic or like a, a little bit of a tough topic to talk about because I don't want to give away all my secrets. But uh, we can talk about the general like best practices <laughs> without getting into like I know we'll, we'll save it for the premium session next time where the people can you know make donations yeah, that's for you. Right. Yeah, that's right. Well, we'll start by saying that sand is a very important thing on the Mississippi River <laughs> and many times a year. But uh, like you said, like you touched on. Fall is a big time factor. Um, a lot of fish are using sandbars. If you look at a map or um, Google Earth and see where the sandbars are, it's always at places where current is running into an area with less current. So that's important because these fish are coming out of these backwaters that have less current and they're trying to get back into the flow because they're migrating towards their wintering areas. And what people don't realize is that this migration starts a lot earlier than what you would think you know people are thinking oh the fish aren't starting to get ready for winter until like september october but really they're starting to think about wintering in the process of getting ready for that starting in early august um on the mississippi river we get a shad spawn i i can't pin it down because you can't it's not like a southern shad spawn where you see the shad everywhere up on the bank flipping around it's kind of this mythical weird thing that must take place in late May, early June. And you don't even see any shad like anywhere until early August. And they start coming out of nowhere. And around mid to late August, they start to get to be that two to four inch size. And they're, those shad are migrating to the main channel. And the smallmouth and the largemouths are following them in that migration. And it's all going towards wintering stuff. It takes it, you know, two or three months for them to get to that wintering stuff, but everything they do is going towards that. So with that said, those sandbars are kind of the first things that they come to in their path um, to get back to the current from the backwaters where they spend the summer. And uh, you find these sandbars mostly with your eyes. Like you can see on a day where there's a little ripple on the surface, a little bit of sun, you can see that ripple that tells you that there's something there in the water with current running over it. And uh, another good way to find them is with your lower unit. Uh, if you're going really fast <laughs> and then all of a sudden you stop. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's a good way to find sandbars. GPS that. Call, uh, call a friend. It's much better to find sandbars with your lower unit than it is to find wing damp with your lower unit. Pro tip. Yeah. It, it, that's a very good point. You can eat a lot of sand before you need to go to the doctor with the boat. Wing dams, you can only eat one and you're there. But... Uh, <laughs> But for real, uh, Google Earth is your best friend. You can find a lot of good sand on Google Images. Some of the images are taken in the summer when the water's low and when the water is fairly clear. You can see a lot of this stuff that I'm fishing. Um, but understanding it and how to fish it is is a whole different ball game. Like you got to be, you got to approach it from downstream, and you've got to find like like Rich was talking about the sweet spot, which for me is usually a place in the sand where it turns uh, or if there's like a double drop, there's, you'll find a lot of places where there's double drop and it's kind of subtle. Uh, it'll drop 
like this much and then it'll drop like this much <laughs> and that they'll be sitting on that little stair step deal and sometimes it really literally is in only six to eight inches of water where they're going to be pushing the shad to feed um and that's kind of a that's like a low light deal early morning or heavy cloud cover type of days you can catch top water fish on that extreme high spot but on a sunny day or just a general middle of the day type of deal those fish are going to be on a little bit deeper part of that drop and that's mm-hmm. where personally my favorite bait to use is just a carolina rig um for tournaments anyway like most of my right. sand drop fish are caught on a carolina rig in a tournament like over the course of my whole fishing career i've weighed more fishing on a carolina rig on sand than anything else probably that being said i don't find them with the carolina rig i'm finding these fish with a swim bait yeah let's put that away <laughs> i find these fish with a swim bait uh lipless crankbait a swim jig you know something moving to get a bite in practice and then a lot of times I'll, I'll set the hook on fish until it's over three pounds. That's kind of my deal. Like if I'm catching two and a half pounders, I will sit on a sand drop the day before a tournament and catch every one of them because I don't, it doesn't matter. That's, you can show that. That's fine. I don't care. That this is the game hog though. This isn't the baby brush hog. That's fine. You can have all of them. I don't need that. <laughs> Just don't, don't show that other thing. Don't show that other thing you were showing. But, uh, no, but if I'm in practice, I will catch every fish until I catch a good one. If I catch one good one, I will immediately leave a spot because usually when it's sandbar fishing, there's more than one there. So So if you're not from the area and you don't have a hundred sandbars, that's probably not the best advice. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You're like me and you only have like four or five sand drops to fish. Don't catch 20 out of them in practice. That's true. Well, I mean, it depends. Do you want to win or not? (laughs) I'm just kidding. But, I mean, I will catch two and a half pounders because I know to have a tournament winning limit, if you can't weigh one in, that's two and a half pounds. So I I always feel like burning a few of those to see if there's any three pounders mixed in um, doesn't really hurt because – I don't know if I know that there's no three pounders in that school. A lot of times I won't go there unless I absolutely have to. Um, yeah. On the flip side, you never know. I mean, like, yeah. I mean, just times just times one day field, they could be two pounders the next day and the next day there could be a four pounder there. It's, I mean, like you said, it's a migration. So there's fish moving through there all the time. So it kind of depends on how close to the tournament and that kind of stuff too, because I mean, <clears throat> kind of, but obviously if it's like literally, 14 inches. I mean, you know, it all kind of goes yeah. right. Like if, is, which is it kind of a heavy class Are they fat fish? Do they look like they're healthy? You know what I mean? Like you just kind of got to understand the fish you're catching and kind of use your intuition. Is this spot, is this feel like a spot that's getting better or a spot that's getting worse? Right. Like, yeah, that's a very good point for sure. Um, yeah. I mean, I found that more often than not, when you find like that sweet spot, they are grouped up by size. Especially in August, September, October. I mean, that's why I'm, that's what I'm typically looking for. Like, I'm looking to set the hook and catch a three pounder. Anything that's over three pounds, I know that there's a chance that there's like the fours and fives on that same area. When I catch a two pounder, though, very rarely are there. 
The 215, there's never going to be a four there. Okay, 215, that's a three-pounder. That's close enough to three that I'm probably going to fish that spot in the tournament. But uh, so you're looking, I mean, you're looking for, like, you don't want that, like, 15 and a half, two and a quarter to two and a half pound river fish. You want that slightly better average fish to show you that potential that there's could be that better fish there. Yeah, like a two and three quarter and up, like, is where I'm starting to be like, okay, okay, this is this has a chance, you know. But, of course, what I'm speaking in right here, too, is, like, your ideal situation where the river conditions are good. There's a lot of places where the fish are grouped up right now kind of thing. There's that's that's a perfect situation where you can be picky and choosy like that but then like you were saying though too there are times where you don't have that option like where you're not going to go and burn a bunch of two and a half pounders because there's not that many spots that are good and, and right. i saw that a lot this past fall even that semifinal in lacrosse that i was fortunate to win i i had good bags both days but i did not have very much water i mean i was Actually, at two different times in that event, I was very nervous about my prospects of, like, doing well. Like, day one, I only had 13 and a half pounds, and I didn't have any other spots to go to. And I went to this one place on a whim that I didn't practice and caught a good one, and it saved my day. And but you team, had a lot of spots where you could catch 10, 12 pounds. Yeah, yeah. Like, it was a points deal, or it was like, but... So somebody wants to know, have you ever thrown the book, the Mike Buka bullshad on the river for sand drops? I don't yes. own one. So. Yes, that's definitely uh, something you can do. I've caught some fish on it. I, I think there's other baits that I like better. Um, but well, I think part of it is where we live, the bullshad is, well, there's different size bullshads, but our shad don't, I mean, they're, it's a different ball game on Pickwick and things like that than it is on the river as far as the size of the shad and what the fish are used to targeting. Not saying you can't catch them on a big bait, but um, in a tournament situation, I think it's hard to commit to something like a full-size bull shad on the river day in and day out. Yeah, I there's some guys that do really, really well on the sand drops doing that. I actually had a lot of success this late up, August. Maybe? I was throwing... Uh, What's, I was throwing the Spro BBZ, um, the six-inch floater. I was catching some good ones on that. Uh, but that was a very pool-specific deal. That was on Pool 9. For some reason, I actually custom-painted that that bait to look like a red horse because it sounds crazy, but I saw some smallmouth that were chasing red horse um, on the surface, and they were just smashing that thing when I when I had that deal going. But I could not duplicate it on pool eight or seven or six or five a it just it only worked for me that one week stretch on pool nine but you know i did almost win the bfl super tournament doing that so <laughs> it was pretty cool <laughs> so soby wants to know top three baits for fishing a sand castle not calling it carolina rig <laughs> oh my gosh oh a sand castle what? i don't You're know what that means uh, Tom Rodriguez wants to know what my, I don't know if he was talking about your pattern for the semis or my pattern for the semis, but I think you were predominantly fishing sand breaks at the semis, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, that was my main pattern. Uh, it ended up on day two, I ended up catching them on a current seam with some grass. Like mm -hmm. my biggest fish came from sand. 
but I had like three largemouth that I weighed in that came on this grass edge or two sloughs meet and there was current and there was a mud line. And I literally caught like, like 35 keepers off of it. Like I did not plan that. It just kind of happened that way. Um, just kind of a crazy deal. But, but yeah, my main pattern for that tournament was sand. Um, but yeah, and I think you said that's what you were doing too, right? Uh-oh. I don't know all that different. Um, I had just a handful of areas. And Tom, if you want to see, you can go back and watch every fish I weighed in my YouTube video. Um, <laughs> but Shameless my main deal was a very, I would say, well-known sand drop uh, at the bottom of eight. Uh, it's pretty darn obvious, but it also can be pretty good. Um, and I caught several large ones off that each day. Uh, mostly on the Carolina rig, all the wayfish. In practice, I got some of those big ones on the top water. But there was so much eelgrass that got sucked out of that backwater that was flowing over the sand. It just made uh, uh, pretty much anything by Carolina rig almost impossible to fish there. Um, and then I had one, like, duckweed mat over a sand drop and a weed patch in the backwater where there was just a nice pot of fish in there. And I weighed a couple of fish out of that. And then I actually weighed a few fish the first day off my toe spot. He had a sand drop with some, or a grass drop, sand drop. I never really fished it before. I didn't like graph it or anything. Um, it wasn't too far. And those were mainly Carolina rig fish. And then uh, I caught one fish on a swim jig late on day two that was an upgrade. Um, there was just like a, a current seam in the backwater where dirty water was rushing down like the slough and then the clean water was getting pulled through a shallow flat and on a point and there just I don't know, wasn't a ton of fish there, but I got one good one there. So huh. that kind of sounds like my spot on day two as well. It literally sounds exactly like the spot. I mean, well, I doubt it. So this is the spot. Cade. My kids are getting a little restless and I need to, to get them corralled. So we'll, uh, we'll definitely do it again sometime. If you guys are here watching me, make sure you check out Cade. If you're here for Cade, make sure you check out mine. And I'm uh, definitely going to be doing more of these, talking to people and whatever the topic is. I mean, this has been a ton of fun. This is like definitely like scratches the itch for me. Like I feel like we're hanging out at Clinton Street after the uh, weigh-in like with a beer and like BSing about fishing. So this has been fun. Yeah, that was a good idea. Thanks for joining or like for inviting me and, for the couple people that asked, the champion's still alive, so it's all good. And yeah, thanks for watching. Thoughts on the Jude in September? Has it officially been moved? Yes, it to has. September? Oh, yeah, maybe. I won't be able to look fish me up, Toby. Let's talk about it. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I feel like that'd be a way better time of year for me than it would be in uh, April and May. So, I'm definitely interested. My good night, everyone. We'll catch you next time. Yeah. See you later. Thanks. All right. Bye.